Good morning, church. Happy Easter. And just in case you haven't heard the good news, Jesus is alive. Hey, death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. Jesus was, is, and will always be the risen king of glory. Amen. Come on, let's just take a second to praise him. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you are the risen king of glory. We thank you, Lord God, that you are here in this place. And God, we pray that as we gather, Lord, as we look to your word, God, that, Lord, you would be glorified. And that, Lord, your Holy Spirit, your precious Holy Spirit would draw us closer to you. And, Lord, as we open our hearts, Lord, we say to you, have your way in our lives. Speak to our hearts. Let your word go forth. May it be found as good seed landing on good soil, that it may produce, Lord God, all that you want it to produce in our lives. We pray this in the matchless, mighty name of Jesus. And all the church says... Amen, amen, and amen. Well, I want to welcome everyone here today for our Easter celebration service. And if you are here, as Daniel said today, as our guest, we want to especially welcome you. Amen, church? And we want you to know that there is a place for you here at Destiny Church, and we are so honored that you would join us this morning. Well, for those of you that are just joining us, or maybe you've not been here uh, for a while, we have been on a series called Storytellers. You guys enjoyed this series? I've enjoyed teaching it so much, and this series is all about us looking at different stories from different people's lives and the work that God has done both in them and through them. And today I want to share with you a message called The Greatest Story Ever Told. I felt like that was a very fitting title and message for us uh, to share with our storyteller series. And so the intent today is to tell the story behind the story. Because how many of you know that every story has a backstory? And when it comes to Easter Sunday, I think that most people have heard about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're not familiar with that story... You're going to hear it today. But what I'd also like to do is I'd like for us to take a deeper look and for us to examine a few uh, details about the story that you may have never considered. And so I want to just dive right into the word. Is that okay? So we're going to dive right in. And this is the part of the story where Jesus is betrayed and he's arrested. And you can read about this in your Bible in the book of John chapter 18. Jesus had been doing ministry all throughout Israel for the past three years. And his ministry involved uh, teaching, but his ministry also involved performing miracles. The scripture lists that there are right at 37 miracles that Jesus did, but there were way more than that. In the Gospel of John, John wrote this about Jesus. He said Jesus did many other things as well. Understatement of the year, because listen to what he says afterwards. If every one of them were written down, he said, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That's John 21, 25 for your reference. But if we look at just the things that were recorded in the Gospels, we see that Jesus did things like miraculously feeding thousands of people. 
Things like casting out demons from people who were possessed. At one point, Jesus turned water into wine. And everywhere he went, he healed the sick, including the deaf, the blind, the lame, and the infirmed. He controlled the elements of nature by simply speaking three words, peace, be still. And he raised people from the dead, and he himself was raised from the dead. Jesus was and is everything that is perfect. He is everything that is good. He was the only person to walk this earth to be able to make that declaration. As a matter of fact, in the book of John, chapter 8 and verse 46, Jesus himself says this. He says, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? He says, if I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Jesus says something that none of us could ever say. He says, what wrong, what imperfection, what sin have you ever saw me do? Now, listen, if I were to ask that question, look, everyone in this, this room is going to raise their hand and say, uh, yeah, Chris, I, I know a few things, right? And, and the same with you, right? But Jesus, when he asked the question, not only of his peers and his closest friends, but also of those who were in opposition to him, when he asks it, there are crickets. Why? Simple. Jesus was the perfect son of God who lived a perfect life. He came from heaven as God eternal and became one of us in order that he could reconcile us to himself. Now, this is where I want to give you just a brief summarization of the gospel because before I can tell you the story behind the story, first I have to make sure that everyone knows the story, okay? And so the summarization is this. God created us for his glory. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 43, verses 6 and 7, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Therefore, every human should live for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Nevertheless, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. As a matter of fact, the scripture repeats that very thing in Romans 3.23 when it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You, me, everyone that we know have not loved, have not trusted, have not thanked, nor obeyed God as we should have. Therefore, we all deserve eternal punishment. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 9 says, those who did not obey the Lord Jesus will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke these very words right here when talking about those who would go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And he said that in Matthew 25, verse 46. Yet, thank God for this yet, in God's great mercy, 
He sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to provide for sinners the way of eternal life. And friends, this is why we say that this is the greatest story ever told. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus did what you and I could never have done. He paid the sin debt that we owed. John 17, 2 through 3 says, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him, or you have given him. Now, this is eternal life. Now, this is what's so important. Matter of fact, I just encourage you to underline this in your Bible. It says, this is eternal life, that they know you. God wants to have a relationship with his creation, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Another fitting scripture that I feel like falls appropriate with this verse that many of you will know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever would believe in him would not, what, perish, but have everlasting life. That means that eternal life is made available as a free gift to all who will trust Christ as Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says, If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Verse 13 of that very same chapter says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And friend, I want you to know that you will have the opportunity today to receive the free gift of God through Jesus Christ so that you too can be reconciled to God. Hallelujah. Amen. That's a good place to clap. That's a good place to clap. Now what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to take a little bit of a deeper look, and I want us to examine the backstory. And I'd like to do this examination, if I could, just by asking a, a few questions. And perhaps these are questions that maybe many of you have had. And the first question is this. Why a cross? Why a cross? Now, just to give you a little bit of a history lesson on what a cross is, a cross was a torture device that was invented by the Romans. And over the centuries, authorities, they've used different types of um, means for executing criminals and enemies. These have included things like stoning, the guillotine, firing squads, hanging, electrocution, gassing, lethal injection, to name a few. And in almost all of these cases... The death of the victim was instantaneous or only lasted a few minutes. But right around 4th century B.C., the Roman Empire, they employed a form of execution that was indescribably painful and prolonged. Crucifixion. And the word crucifixion, it comes from the Latin meaning to fix to a cross. And this cruel and savage practice was used for right at a thousand years until around 337 A.D. the emperor Constantine abolished it. And it was on this terrible tortured device known as a cross that Jesus was crucified on the outskirt of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, Matthew records the events of this in his book in Matthew chapter 27 and 
verses 28 through 31. It says, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling down before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Now, the crucifixion, the victim, he was stripped naked and he was forced to lace upwards with his shoulders resting on the beam of a wood. His outstretched arms were pinned to the beam with nails, probably right about at the bottom of the hand. The beam was then lifted up and secured to an upright post that was already driven into the ground. They would then put the victim's feet together where they would nail them to the post, which was partially to support the weight of the victim. But watch this. It wasn't to, to help the victim, but actually rather to keep him alive longer in order to prolong the pain. Some victims suffered this appalling agony for several days before dying of blood loss, suffocation, exhaustion, asphyxiation, heart failure, shock, sepsis, or dehydration. And unless friends of the deceased claimed the corpse, it was left to the mercy of the scavenging birds or stray animals. And here's what you need to know about Jesus' crucifixion. As he hung on the cross with humiliating mockery, he accepted it with protest or retaliation, without retaliation. And as a matter of fact, of the seven things that Jesus said when he was on the cross, the very first thing was asking God to forgive those who were responsible for his torture and his execution. And the thing that's always baffled me is that God could have sent Jesus into human history at any point in time. And he could have arranged things in such a way that Jesus didn't have to die the type of death that he did. Yet God intentionally purposed it in order to show both the length and the width, the height and the depth of the love that he has for you and me. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this was the plan of God from the very beginning. And we see this in several places in the Old Testament through various types and shadows. In Deuteronomy 21.23, the scripture says, anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. Now that verse right there, it may not make sense to you until you read the epistle of Galatians 3.13, which says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. So we can see where God gave us a foreshadowing of what was to come with Christ. Yet the Messiah did not come in the way that they thought that he would come. Although through his word he gave plenty of glimpses of what it would look like. Now, I want to share something with you. I, I am very excited to share. Um, I've been wanting to share this for five years, 
And if I can be honest, it was something the Lord showed me about five years ago when I had to keep my heart checked before I could share it with you. I don't know if that makes sense, but sometimes when the Lord reveals something to you, he tells you to keep your mouth shut until your heart's right, was the case with me. And so the Lord gave me a green light, so I'm excited to share this. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share it in the form of asking a question just to keep consistent with the message. But why did Pilate write an inscription and put it on the cross? Have you ever considered that question? Or, hey, maybe you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, so let me just maybe just read a a portion of, of the story to you. In John chapter 19, verses 19 through 20, the scripture says, Now Pilate wrote a title, and he put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. I'm sure that many of you have seen the Catholic cross that has Jesus hanging on it. Have you ever seen those before? And if you've ever noticed right above it, there's the letters I-N-R-I, Enri. Well, that is a Latin acronym. And an acronym is an abbreviation formed from the initial letters of other words and then pronounced as a word. Now, I want you to hold that thought for just a moment. I want to explain to you just a little bit of Jewish tradition for those of you that may not know. But when people would bring their sacrifice during the Passover, they would give their best lamb or a young goat, and they would write their name on um, a name tag or on a name plate, which was just essentially a board. And this would ensure that whenever it was recorded by the scribes, that they would take count of their sacrifice. Now back to the inscription that Pilate wrote. He wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And in the Bible, the Bible says that the people were angry that he wrote it. As a matter of fact, they said, no, don't say that he was. Say that he said that he was. Now this is where it gets interesting. Because all four of the writers of the Gospels, they mention the inscription, but only John mentions that the people were angry over what it said. At first, at face value, it would seem clear as to why they were mad because, you know, it says, well, because he was the king of the Jews. But when you consider that notion, why would that make them angry? I mean, yeah, Jesus said, you know, he's a king, okay, but that shouldn't cause them to be angry. Think about that. Perhaps there's another reason. Let me ask you something. Why did they crucify Jesus to begin with? Certainly, it wasn't because he sinned, because as we read earlier, he never sinned. However, the reason that they crucified him was because he claimed to be God. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 10 and verse 33, The Jews answered him. He says, it's not for any good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself to be God. Now, earlier we read the inscription that, that Pilate wrote, which would have certainly been written in an acronym. And it was written in three languages. Enri uh, was one of the acronyms, and it was written in Latin. As a matter of fact, you'll see this come up on the screen, but you see this right here in Latin where the Enri is. But let me ask you this. What about the Hebrew? 
what would that acronym be? Well, let's take a look at those words. Jesus, Yehoshua, of Nazareth, Hanatri, the king, Vemelech, of the Jews, Hehudim. The first four letters of the words in Hebrew are Y-H-V-H, Yod, He, Vav, He. That is the name of God that was revealed to Moses in Exodus 3.14. Now, because uh, we don't have that, we added vowels in order to be able to say it, we pronounce it this way. We say Yahweh. You see, the Jews, they would have looked up and they would have seen the inscription above Jesus is saying Yahweh. A name that was so sacred to the Jews that they wouldn't even say it aloud. But here's what's really cool. God saw to it that his name was put on a nameplate signifying that this was his sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Come on, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Man, I love reading the scripture. You should read it more often. It's great. <laughs> so why a cross? Why an inscription? And third, why bloodshed? Again, I don't know if you've ever considered this question, but why did Jesus have to die the type of death that he did? I mean, couldn't there have been any other way to bring reconciliation to God without the shedding of blood? And the short answer to that is no. No. You can't buy forgiveness and be reconciled to God. You can't earn forgiveness through good deeds. The only way that sin could be forgiven and reconciliation with God be made available was through the shedding of blood. When we look in the Old Testament in Leviticus 17, 11, the scripture says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for your souls upon the altar. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years, there was a, a sacrificial system by which countless animals were killed to serve as a, a covering or an atonement for our sin. Now, atonement, for those of you that may not know the word, atonement just simply means reparation for an offense or a wrong. And once a year, the high priest would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. Now, God's plan was never that thousands and thousands of animals be slaughtered. God's plan is that we be united with him. Yet, it was our sin that demanded that blood be shed. Friends, we understand justice in our world, do we not? If someone commits an offense or breaks the law, one must be served the sentence of the crime that was committed. But here's the thing. In breaking God's law, and we've all broken it. We, we've all broken it. God's demand, look, it isn't community service. It isn't 30 days in jail. There are only two options. We can receive the penalty of our sin which is eternity in hell, which, by the way, that's what hell is. There's so maybe little 
being discussed about hell that people don't know what it is, but hell is the place where you can choose to go and pay for your sins if you want. Or, and this is a big, big or, we look to the blood that was shed to serve as our redemption. It acquits us of our sins. Now, don't run home and make a sacrifice, okay? All right? Hebrews 10.4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 9.12 says, neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You see, friends, Jesus is the Lamb of God who shed his blood so that our faith in him as Lord and Savior would reconcile us back to God. And not only did Jesus die for the forgiveness of our sin, but he died in order so that we could be whole, so that we could be complete, and so that we could be the people that God purposed for us to be. And most importantly, he died so that you and I could be in relationship with God. Friends, I'm here to tell you that if you do not have a relationship with God, you are missing out on the best thing in life. The reason we call it the greatest story ever told is because this story that we're talking about right here this morning, it is the central point of all humanity. All of eternity will be singing, will be shouting, We'll be dancing, we'll be praising with hearts overflowing to the glory of the one true God, Jesus Christ. So why the cross? Why the inscription? Why the blood? And I want us to look at one more question. Why a resurrection? Again, I'm not sure if you've ever considered this question or not, but why the need for a resurrection? Friends, I want to share the answer to that question with you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that everything that Jesus ever said was absolutely and incontrovertibly and completely true. The Bible says in Mark 8.31 that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Friends, everything about Jesus was unique from any other person in all of history. The predictions of his coming, and there's a few hundred of them. His birth, his life, his teachings, his miracles, and especially, well, his death, and especially the resurrection. The validity of Jesus' claims about himself rests on the resurrection, whether he rose from the dead or whether he stayed in the grave. And here's what you need to know about the resurrection. The resurrection is a historical event based on undeniable evidence. After the resurrection, Jesus made numerous appearances to his followers. The Bible says that he comforted the mourners outside the tomb that Sunday morning. On the road to Emmaus, he explained things about himself to others from the Old Testament. Later, he ate in their presence and he invited them to touch him. 
The Bible records that Jesus was seen by more than 500 people at one time. But then there's the evidence that we see in the life of Jesus' followers. Every single one of them, almost every single one of them, were killed as a result of their faith. Now, you're not going to get anyone to walk straight into a death sentence for someone who's still in the grave. Are you following me? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that they were weeping and they were mourning after Jesus' death. Why? Because for three days, Jesus, he was dead. But then all of a sudden, there was no more weeping. There was no more mourning, but rather joyful hearts full of gladness. Why? Because Jesus was alive. And whenever Jesus ascended into heaven, his disciples went out with a fire and with a passion, stirred to tell the whole world the greatest story ever told. And this story, it cost them their lives, but they didn't stop telling the story because they knew it was true. Friends, Jesus is alive. He's alive, he's alive here today, and this Jesus wants to do a resurrection in your life. You say, Pastor, well, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, a resurrection is the act of rising to life again, or rising from the dead. And I know that there are those of you listening to this message, some of you right now online, and some even later on that's going to watch this, that you've got some dead things. Like you've got a dead marriage. You've got a dead-end job. Your relationship with your family is all but dead. But even more importantly than that, you're dead on the inside. Well, can I just tell you that every person that has ever lived has felt that way at one point or another. As a matter of fact, listen to what the scripture says in Ephesians 2. I'm going to read you just seven verses here. But it says, and you were, what, dead. In the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. Following the course of the world, in other words, living just like the world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. Come on, don't you love those but God moments? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, mm, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Friends, the reason that I'm standing up here this morning and sharing this message with you is to let you know that God wants to do a spiritual resurrection in your life. God wants you to be alive in Christ. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and to have it more abundantly. You see, the most beautiful part of the greatest story ever told is that God invites us to allow our story to intersect with his story. You say, what does that mean? That means that we recognize that we were dead in our sins like we just read, 
And we look to Jesus to be the one, the only one, who can raise us up and cause us to walk in the newness of life and receive the promise of heaven. Here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me. I'm not going to keep you long this morning. I know that it's Easter. Hey, I know that there are many of you, you came today because someone gave you an invitation, or perhaps you came to be with family, or maybe you just came for some other random reason. Well, there's one thing that I can tell you for certain. Today can be the, the day that your life changes forever. Almost 28 years ago, as a young man, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. But before that, I was living for the things of the world. I get the opportunity still to speak to teenagers, and I tell them, I say, guys, the world is not better. If the world was better, I would have stayed in the world, right? But, like, I'm serving God, and, man, I've got joy in me. This ain't, this ain't a fake smile I have to put on. I've got joy overflowing from in my soul because that's what Jesus does with our life. He will radically change you. He changed me. Not only did he change me, but he saved me. And guess what? I needed saved because, friend, I was on my way to hell. Watch this. The Bible says that it's appointed unto men once to die. And after that, the judgment. Friends, you, me, every person that's ever walked on this earth will one day stand before God. And there's only one way that God will allow you to go into heaven. And then that's if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said, I am the way. And by saying I am the way, the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. The Bible also says that there's no other name given under heaven in which men must be saved but the name of Jesus. And here's what I'd like for us to do right now. I'm going to ask every person to just bow your heads with me just for a moment. And I want to ask this question. Who wants the grace, the forgiveness, the love, the peace, the joy, the abundance of life that only Jesus Christ offers. Friends, that can be yours at this very moment. The Bible says that when someone confesses with their mouth Jesus as Lord and believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead, that they would be saved. And yes, saved means the promise of eternity in heaven, but it also means God's presence with you here on earth. And so I just want to ask, will you say yes to Jesus? Will you say yes and receive God's free gift of love, grace, and mercy? If you say, Pastor, I want that. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. I want to know that I will get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. If that's you and you say, I want to live for Jesus. I want to be a follower of Christ. 
If that's you right now, will you just slip your hand up so I can see it? Everyone's got their head bowed. I just put it up and I want to, yeah, who else? Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. You could pray right there at your seat. Here's what I want to do. Yeah, amen, amen. Yes, 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 yes. Praise God. Who else? Come on, there's several people that's saying yes to Jesus. If God's pulling on your heart, don't wait. Maybe you've walked with God at one point in your life and you strayed. And you want to get back in right standing with God because you've not been in right standing. You can take care of that today. Some of you need to rededicate your life. You say, I want him to be number one in my life. I don't want to put him fifth. I don't want to put him third. I don't even want to put him second. I want him to be number one. And friends, that's what it means to make Jesus Lord, to put him number one. Is there anyone else that wants to join in with those that have raised their hand? Yeah, you guys can put your hands down. Awesome. Man, praise God. Thank you all. Thank you all. Anyone else that's going to raise, that, that wants to join in with those that raise their hand? Those of you that are online, you can pray this prayer with us. Even those that's going to be watching this message at some point later on, you can also join in this prayer. And it, it will be just as powerful watching it a week from now, a month from now, or years from now. Anyone else that says, yes, I want to surrender my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm going to give just a few more seconds, and then we're going to pray for those that have raised their hand. Hallelujah. Okay, here's what I want to do. Those of you that raised your hand, you guys look at me for a second. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. I want you to know that today your life will change. 28 years ago, I didn't know what I was walking into when I walked into a meeting with a group of guys that was sitting there talking about Jesus. But I heard the same story that, that I shared with you, and it changed my life. And man, I've never wanted to look back, not once. Jesus Christ is the most beautiful thing. It was the reason why you were put, he was the reason why you were put here. And we're just so excited that you're making this decision right now. What I want to do is I want to lead you in a prayer. And saints of God, many in this room, the majority in this room have already prayed this prayer at some point. And I'm going to ask them, saints of God, if you will join in with those several have raised their hand to, to give their life to Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to do what the scripture says, what we read earlier, that we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. And that's the promise of the word of God. And so here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to pray this prayer. And we're gonna t I want you to take these words, those of you that, that, that raised your hand, and take ownership of them. And, and, and pray them and mean them from the bottom of your heart, okay? Let's pray this out loud right now. Saints of God, repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a savior I ask you Jesus be my Lord be my savior forgive me of my sins help me to turn from them and make you the Lord of my life Jesus I believe that you are the son of God that you died on the cross for the sin of the world Jesus I believe that you died, that you were buried, but that you rose from the grave. And Jesus, I ask to know you, to really know you, and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.